Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. So uh, this morning, I want to encourage you to grab your notes, your Bible, your journal, however it is you do this space. We are in the next installment of an important series in our church called Cave Time. Say it with me, Cave Time. And uh, we are taking a look. We're having some very honest, very real, I should say, conversations uh, about how the Lord meets us in some of the caves we find ourselves in and brings us out of those caves and uh, brings healing and hope to us uh, in the name of, of, of Jesus. And so we're having very honest conversations about that. Uh, and I want to just say, you know, since we're talking about caves, how many of you guys are outdoor adventure people? Can I see my outdoor adventure people? Raise your hands high. How many of y'all have ever been doing, have ever gone cave exploring? There are, uh, how, many, how many of you knew this, that there are actually nine caves in Florida, registered caves, all of them are underwater in Florida. And so uh, I, I think about that. I only have one experience with a cave. And, uh, and I want to show you, have you ever been driving on I-75 and you see this sign on I-75 that says this? It's going to show up. There it is. How many of you have ever seen that? That is uh, in Lookout Mountain, I think, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. You can see Rock City, and there's a thing in there called uh, I, um, Ruby Falls, which is at the bottom of this cave. You get in this elevator, you go, you go down 262 feet, and then I think you walk down this, this uh, Ruby Falls is uh, 1,120 feet uh, underneath the mountain. And I remember taking uh, our family, I was, we were actually going to be a part of a graduation and we were going up to Kentucky and we decided, we saw this so many times, we thought, well, we, we should go do it, you know. And I'll never forget, my mom, my dad, we all, we all went in this thing and, and we went down uh, 260 feet and my 93-year-old mom who is here had a conniption fit over the whole experience. And uh, in this moment, we're down in this cave and they, and, and they have these lights on and they turn the lights off so that you can see how dark it is in a cave. And they turn the lights off and this kid yelled, turn the lights on! And it kind of freaked my mom out. And my little nine-year-old daughter, Haley, at the time, grabbed her hand and I could hear Haley go, I'll hold your hand, you'll be fine. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that? mostly put it out of your memory. All right. But uh, anyhow, so uh, we've been learning this and I want to put this on the screen. You're going to say it with me. Pastor George last week taught us this. Let's read it. Ready? A cave can be a hiding place or a holy place. And if you've been with us in this series, we have been having a very honest conversation about some of the caves we find ourselves in. We've corresponded the, a cave experience with every one of these different uh, subjects we've talked about. So we talked about anger, Samson in the cave of anger. Uh, if you're with us in week two, Pastor Trevor talked about, uh, I think it was David in the cave of fear. If you're with us last, uh, the week after that, we talked about the cave of despair and depression. Last week, we had a mediocre message from Pastor George. <laughs> he is streaming the service right now. Everybody say hi to George. And uh, we had, uh, George taught us about, what did he teach? Oh, temptation, right? <laughs> Good gracious. 
And uh, this weekend, we're going to go forward, and I want to tell you, it's kind of an interesting subject today on Mother's Day, because I want to talk to you about the cave of grief. And I want to just come to you very honestly and say, when we saw this coming up two or three weeks ago, we started to have a conversation about it. And we said, you know, really, should we, should we talk about grief on Mother's Day? And I remember telling the teaching team, well, I can remember certain times when I was go- growing up, my mom would go, good grief, what have you done now? Does that count? And uh, we, we thought as we talked about it, that we actually thought this is probably a perfect weekend to talk about it because we would acknowledge in a space like this, and Jess helped us a few moments ago, right? Uh, Mother's Day has all kinds of emotions connected with it. For some of us, it's a day of celebration. For some of us, it's not. For some of us, it's a day to remember and, and have good feelings. And for others, those feelings are kind of conflicted. And uh, one of the things that Community of Hope is we strive to always be a church that welcomes all the authenticity into the room. And so I thought, you know what? I thought about it a little bit. Those decisions are mine. And I thought, you know, I think it's important and I think our church can handle it. And I think we're going to go on with it. Amen. So we're going to talk about it. So this morning, what I want to do, I want to read a passage of scripture to you that I think embodies probably the, the, the most powerful story and I say that without any exaggeration in the entire New Testament about the idea of grief and how God can meet us at the cave of grief. And we're going to give more definition about that and we're going to learn. But I'm going to take us to John chapter 11 and we're going to read the story about the death of Lazarus. And so because we honor God's word in the room, I want to encourage you to stand where you are. Let's just stand. And uh, this is a bit of a longer story. I'm going to read uh, 37 verses, but I think it's going to be important for us. So here's how John records it in John chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same Mary who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, hey, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister uh, uh, and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Fascinating. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Now his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. They're a bunch of goober heads, aren't they? (laughs) 
So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and uh, Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother, hey, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been uh, with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, he replied. They replied, and then Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we're going to come to you in honesty in this moment. And uh, this is a subject, God, that um, a lot of us, you know, there's a lot of confusion around it. Even, even, Lord, I would confess some of us even have fear to sort of crack the door open, to have honest conversations with you about grief. And God, on this important day when we celebrate all that moms are and all that moms should be, we remember too that for some of us in the room, there's a conflict of emotion. And so in a way, Holy Spirit, it tees up an important conversation we can have in your presence because you're here. And so I ask that you might do in this space what only you can do. Uh, And that is what you always do. You love us all the same, but you love us uniquely. And so we invite you to help us now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. amen. So let's... Let's think about this conversation for a moment. So uh, in a way, this is a story about how God views death and how we view death. And it's a story about grief. And when you think about it, just to get all on the same page, um, this is what I would want us to know. So we, all, we know historically that Jesus did not have a home that he ever called his own. And so scholars believe that when he was touring around at different points 
uh, in his ministry, his three-year ministry, he would often stay in, in the same houses when he would go to certain regions, almost like a host home. Can you imagine being a host home for Jesus? And so when he was uh, in the area of Judea, there's a little town uh, near or around Judea called Bethany, which is two miles from Jerusalem. Whenever he was in that region, scholars think likely, maybe not every time, but likely he stayed with um, Mary and Martha. We know Mary as the one, we're told in the story, she's the one who burst into the party and was so overcome with emotion at the way that Jesus had transformed her life and accepted her and loved her that, you know, she prepared his body for burial and she poured perfume on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. We also have a story that would tell us in a way about these host home situations. It actually happens in the gospel of Luke chapter 10. We remember it as the story when Jesus visited the home of Mary and Martha. And remember the conflict that Martha was running around getting everything ready, hosting Jesus. And Mary, when Jesus got there, just sat at Jesus' feet and learned. And remember the moment where Jesus says to Mary or to Martha, you're worried about all these things, Jesus Jesus said, and Mary has chosen the better part. She's chosen to be with me. And so we think likely because of that, this is what's going on. So word reaches Jesus uh, as he is uh, traveling and not yet uh, to Bethany that Lazarus is sick. And this is where the story takes a unique twist because when, when he learns that Lazarus, his friend, is sick, he does something very uncustomary that we would think not only a friend would do, but a friend who is Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus waits. In fact, he waits two days. And in the two days he waits, Lazarus dies. So in a way, what I would want you to know, the story is set up with all this emotion with all this drama. And I think it's a perfect space where all of us, I think, can enter in to the story. And I always look as a communicator for those moments where we can identify. Well, here's what I think, where I think we can identify. If you're like me, and you are, you've probably had moments in your life where you were in a difficulty, a circumstance, a darkness, a tragedy, a thing and you wanted God to show up, you sent word that you needed him, and he waited, and he didn't come, and you wonder. So there's a moment right there, I think, for all of us as we begin to put our minds and hearts around this idea of grief. We have to wonder there, I think, two options. One is this. It's that whole bucket that sometimes we hear about. Either God's not real, or if he is real, he's too busy to care for you. That's an option. That's live in the room. The other option, though, is this. Might there be something else going on that we don't fully understand? And this story, in a way, points toward that.
What I would want everybody to know if you're listening online or you're in the room is that um, all of us are going to go through experiences in our lives where the only appropriate response is to grieve. And we live in a culture that moves so fast, we are in some ways, if we're not told outright that we can't or shouldn't, we're not really in a space where we're given the time to appropriately give it the attention it deserves. And that's attention. Because all of us are going to reach moments in our lives where the only appropriate response is to grieve. I was talking with a, with a college student not too long ago as part of our church, and they were talking to me about that awkward space a couple of years ago where they graduated from high school and the weirdest year ever. And so their senior year in high school, which is when you get to be the, the big fish in the big pond, never happened for this person, as it didn't happen for many. And if that weren't bad enough, then, then after all of that muted, somewhat somber graduation experience, they got all dialed up a couple months later to start college, and they had the weirdest first year of college ever. And as they talked about it with me, I finally told them, I said, you know what you're experiencing right now? They said, what? I said, you're grieving. And so grief takes on a lot of different forms. In fact, I want to give you a couple definitions of grief. Here's one. Grief is the anguish experienced after a significant loss, usually but not limited to the death of a beloved person. So grief is often includes physiological distress, separation, anxiety, confusing, yearning, obsessive dwelling on the past, and apprehension about the future. It goes on to say uh, this. It says, grief may also take the form of regret for something lost, remorse for something done or left undone, or sorrow for a mishap to oneself. I saw another definition of grief that sort of opens it up a little bit further for our purposes today, and it says here this, every loss in life demands an appropriate season of grieving, whether your loss is your favorite person or your favorite pin. Here's the idea that I want to bring into the room this morning. Uh, Grief is going to happen or need to happen in every one of our lives. And when it happens, are you going to be prepared for it? And are you going to recognize it for what it is and be able to move through it in a way that is actually therapeutic and helpful and leads to wholeness. I was thinking about this particular story and embedded in this story, y'all, there are um, four really important things that I want to teach around the subject of grief. And then we're going to in the end, end our morning uh, with a bit of an experiment and an exercise this morning. The first one, though, I want to say is simply this. And I want you to say it with me. Grief is a singular emotion. Say it with me. Ready? Go. Grief is a singular emotion. So here's what I want you to know by this. Grief is not depression. Grief is not anxiety. Grief is not sadness, though it may involve sadness. Grief is grief. And uh, we, we, we understand it as a unique and different emotion, even as we're kind of told about this in a unique way. 
And so the unique way is one I've already mentioned. I want you to notice this verse in John chapter 11. I think it's five through seven. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And I want you to notice that it says this, he stayed like we talked about two more days. That's a moment for us to make a decision about who Jesus is. That's a moment for us in this space to think with me carefully about the character of the God that you and I are here to worship. Does he care? Does he love? Or is there something else going on? And when I think about this is what I want us to understand, of course, and that's simply that grief is a singular emotion. And the first way that we can deal with grief is to simply acknowledge that grief is grief. I think we have to ask ourselves, maybe even more often than we do with certain circumstances, is what I'm feeling right now actually grief? There's another uh, point that I want to drive to that's a really important one. I want you to say it with me. Ready? Go. Grief is not a contest and it's not a race. Look at verse 20 of chapter 11 of John. It says this, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Mary stayed home. I want you to notice that um, they each appropriated their grief in a different way. And when I, when I read this in this story, I think, oh, that's so good. Because so often as a pastor, I, I have seen over the years, um, sometimes we try to universalize all of our emotions. Now, I think we do it, I think it's a way to try to be helpful to other people. Well, this is what I experience. This is what you're gonna experience. And, and I think when it comes to grief, we have to remember it's not a contest. We're gonna experience it differently. It's not a race. It's gonna take us different times that we have to go through it. I was talking with a friend two weeks ago and I was telling him that this message is coming up. And I said, um, I... Uh, uh, we're, gonna, we're, we're thinking we're going to teach it even on, on Mother's Day. And this friend, out of his kindness, said, hey, didn't you, you lost your dad on Father's Day weekend, didn't you? And I said, I, I did. And, and I, I, I went on to tell him the story, I, I don't know if I've ever shared, that when I lost my dad, uh, and he passed on, on just after Father's Day weekend. All of that, all of that unfolded on, on actually on Father's Day. I have this vivid uh, image of when we learned that my, when my dad was close to death, we, we hired a medical transport and we drove, we drove him from Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville all the way to his house. And I followed um, uh, the medical transport in my, in, uh, in my dad's new car that he just bought. So that's like a vivid memory uh, that I have about that. And, and when that happened on Father's Day, Father's Day a year later when it happened, I want to tell you all something that I did. I outlawed Father's Day in my house. And I was still, I had a lot of emotion. I had a lot of grief. And, and my, my wife rolled with that. She said, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna mute down. We're just going to keep Father's Day way down here. And honestly, y'all, I tried to do it in year two. I said, we're, gonna, we're just going to outlaw it. And my wife said, no, we're not. 
And I appreciate what you're doing right now because when I said it at nine, everybody burst out into applause. And my wife was there and I said, don't encourage that kind of behavior. Okay, but you know, here's, here's what happened. She said, you know, here's the weird tension, right? We live in these spaces. You, you, can, you can miss your dad, but you are a dad and your girls are watching you. And I had to learn that. But, but grief, grief is not a race and it's not a contest. Uh, after that year when she outlawed that I would, you know, that we could step back from Father's Day, I had, uh, uh, in my grief, smell was strongly drawn to memories that I would think of. I don't know if that works for some people. It did for me. And I would do all these projects with my dad. And I can remember doing a pro- projects with my dad. And we would drive together to Home Depot or to Lowe's. And right around that time, it's Father's Day. And I, I, I went in, I think, that week. And a, a sprinkler had broken in my front yard. And I was going to replace it. And I went into Lowe's. And I go down the, the um, sprinkler aisle. I can laugh about this now. But I go down the sprinkler aisle. And I saw a guy on the aisle that kind of resembled my father. And then I smelled... Home Depot, you know, that smell. And I got overcome with emotion. And when I got overcome with emotion, at the very moment I'm overcome with emotion, the salesperson walked up to help me with the sprinkler. And he misunderstood like that I was upset that the sprinkler cost what the sprinkler cost. (laughs) And I remember him walking up and he was like, he didn't really know what to do. And he said, I think they're going to go on sale in a... (laughs) No, it was just this weird thing. And so I just think that's an important thing. Now, here's the thing. I want to share another one. And this is a big one for many of us. And the last two points are really important. Here's, here's the third point. The only way past grief is through it. You can't shortcut your grief. Um, I sit with people who try to do that. And here's what grief does. It jumps out of the lane, gets in front of you, and you have to do it all over again. So if you're here this morning and you've got a circumstance, you've got a situation, you've got a thing, you have a loss, the only way you're going to get past it is to go through it. There's something very fascinating at this point I want to point out to you. And, and, and I want to admit, I rarely do this, but I want to admit because of the English translation from the Greek, it's extremely easy to miss. And it happens in this verse. I want to show you the verse that's associated with this, with this truth. So when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, Where have you laid him, he asked. And what I want to draw your attention, come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. So we have the first part of this verse, verse 33. Notice what it said. When he saw her weeping and and those who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved. Now, if you're not careful, you can get caught up because verse 35 of that, verse 33 through 35, Verse 35, I think, is the shortest verse in all the Bible. Two words, Jesus wept. But before that, it mentions the word deeply moved. And if you're not careful, you would just read that. You would uh, give the context of the scenario and go, well, just means he was, he was emotional. But here's the interesting thing. The translation 
of this word is this idea, and let me find it here in our notes. It's the word embrimamai, which means this. It translates literally this. You ready? A snort of anger. So, so let me think, let me have you think about this. This is not sad, Jesus. This is mad, Jesus. I was meeting with a friend once, and he had read this story. He was grieving a loss in his life, a big loss. And uh, he said, I'm, I'm kind of angry about my loss. I wonder where God was. I have all these emotions. And he said, I have a friend of mine. He said, no offense to the friend. I think he's well-meaning. But he just simply said, Jesus is crying with you. And he said, if I can be honest, and I remember saying to him, you can be honest with me. And he said, I'm not really helped by a sad, sappy Jesus who wants to cry with me. And so I took him to this verse and I told him about the Greek translation and I said, you know, I think your friend did mean well, but that's actually not what's going on here. He's not sad. He's mad. And I wonder if, if what he wasn't really thinking isn't embodied in a verse like this because look at what John 10, 10 says. The thief comes, only steal, kill, and destroy. Look at Jesus. This is Jesus. I have come. This is Jesus' mission. I have come that you can have life and have it to the full. So think with me about this. If all we have is this verse to tell us about Jesus, what is it telling us about Jesus? He's all life. It's all good. He's for us. But it says some interesting things about the thief. Look at what it says here. It says he comes to steal. What he means in the context of this story in John chapter 10 is the enemy of your soul comes to steal whatever good God is doing in your life. And then, and then Jesus said the enemy, this is his words, not mine, right? He comes to kill. He comes to bring inappropriate ends to things that are good. He comes to destroy One professor I know says that the work of the enemy through the lies he produces is to cause ever-increasing circles of destruction. So here's the moment of truth for us. Why was Jesus mad? I think because he knows that. And he was angry because this again the Bible talks about the prince of the air in his malevolent work in our lives. But he's not done. And the Bible says that God is able to redeem all things, which is the last point, I think. we can and should grieve differently. We have this wonderful verse where Jesus then tells 
Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, and the ones who believe in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives in believing in me will never die. And then he just asks, do you believe it? That's a question. And I want to give space in this room to just say, um, it's, a, it's not a once and done question. I, I would confess to you, maybe like you're doing on Mother's Day and I do on Father's Day, I reaffirm my belief that he's the resurrection and the life. And that anybody who dies in him, even though they die, yet shall they live. Remember in the story, Jesus referred to death as sleep. Paul was writing later and and he reminded the early church this wonderful truth in 1 Thessalonians. He said, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in that interesting in death so that you'd grieve like the rest of humankind who don't have any hope because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. What if the story's still being written? What if we are really living our lives having been dropped into the middle of a war where the enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy, but God is pushing back those forces of darkness to bring light, to offer hope, and to rescue and to redeem. I've seen God do the most amazing things when we in our own brokenness and pain and grief manifest a simple willingness to believe. I think that's a question for them. It's a question for all of us right now. Do you believe? Lord Jesus, it's a tender moment. There's a lot of emotion in this room. Uh, There are a lot of conflicting feelings here. And all of us have spaces, oh God, where we're grieving, where we're hurting, where, the, where as we understand it rightfully, the work of the enemy seems to be alive and well. And I think that's the only way really we can understand Jesus, and I say it with respect to you, your snort of anger. And I'm so thankful, God, that you were willing to meet Mary and Martha at their place of greatest pain. And you did show empathy, but that's not even the the most powerful emotion in that spot. It was the anger that you felt over the enemy stealing and killing and bringing destruction in our lives. But you're not done. And so I pray for all of my friends listening here and online that we would remember you're not done.
and that you might help us. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said, Amen. This past uh, Tuesday night in our, uh, what we call the man cave on Tuesday night, no women allowed, uh, is um, I had just an experience at the end of the evening, and I want to kind of lead you uh, in that experience now this morning. So every uh, head bowed, every eye closed, what I want to ask you, those that you're willing to do it, don't do it if you don't want to, I want you to hold your hands out in front of you, palms down. And what I want you to do in this moment really of surrender before the Lord, so our body is matching the posture and disposition of our heart, I want you to picture that you are releasing something into the hands of Jesus. So you're going to release the thing, the circumstance, the person, the situation, the moment, whatever that is that represents a grief to you. For some of us, it's just like the story. Lord, where were you? Hey, like this happened. I haven't been able to see you. If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. Whatever that is, just right now picture yourself giving that to Jesus. So Lord, this is a tender moment and for many of us in this space online and here, of course, we're, we're giving you a very important part of who we are. Uh, we don't need to remind you, but it almost feels like we need to say, Lord, be gentle with this because this is a thing for us. And now when you're ready, if you feel like you can, I want you to flip your hands over, palms up, And I want you to envision that Jesus, who has just taken that burden and that grief, is now giving something to you in return. Maybe it's the peace of his presence. Maybe it's for the first time you're learning that you can trust in him again, that you can take a step toward greater belief. Maybe it's a promise of his forgiveness. Maybe it's a simple willingness to believe that he is there and in the coming days will show you more about what is going on in that circumstance. Maybe it's the peace and the promise of his goodness. So Lord, in this space, in this vacuum where we've given to you our deepest, darkest, we're gonna gonna receive from you the healing and hope that you can offer because we can't manufacture that on our own. But you have said it can come from you. And we ask that we might be able to receive it now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So I just want you to know, I believe with all my heart that if you participate in that truthfully, God is here by the power of his spirit. And he's going to break some things open in a good way in your life and in your heart. I have learned in some of the deepest, darkest moments of my life, I can trust again. And you can too. Go in his mercy. Go in his grace. And we'll see you next weekend.